Act One of Paul Jones by Alexandre Dumas, translated by William Berger. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae, Marquis Doré, read by Amy Graymore. The Marchioness, his wife, read by Sonia. Count Emmanuel, their son read by thomas peter margaret their daughter read by lianya baron de lecteur read by nemo paul jones read by todd louis achard read by thomas copeland monsieur de la jarry read by roger moline mr danosi read by recording person the notary Read by James Curran. La Fay. Valet to the Marchioness. Read by Son of the Exiles. Jasmine. Valet to Emmanuel. Read by Eva Davis. Stage directions. Read by Sandra. Scene. Castle Doré in Brittany, France. Year 1779. Act 1. Scene 1 a saloon furniture of the time of louis the thirteenth a door in the centre two side doors a chimney-piece a looking-glass on the top a window on the right side of the spectator enter count emmanuel jasmin lafeuille and three servants emmanuel stretching himself in an armchair jasmin crowns the postilion a clever fellow who only upset me twice since i left Vin what roads upon my soul i must search our family records for some old vassalage law to make those peasants repair the roads to a servant in the livery of the time of louis the fifteenth who is bowing to him well lafoy very well i am glad to see you again and i my lord yes i understand what you mean may all the blessings of heaven descend in your throat enough there is something to drink to the other servants and this for you jasmine inform the marchioness of my arrival and say i await her orders either to pay my respects to her in her own apartment or attend her presence here for you my venerable fellows your services are needed elsewhere away to business exeunt lafeuille in the act of following them lafeuille what news in my absence my father always the same neither better nor worse his reason still estranged tis hard to say sir he will see no one but my lady not even his children but my sister always mourning tis a sad thing to see her tears poor young lady she never quits the chateau except to visit old achard still in his cottage in the park which he never leaves but for the old oak tree under which he rests himself there he remains for hours i believe he even prays there strange old man does the marchioness always send you to supply his wants yes my lord i wait on him but never do i hear any word pass his lips save good day good morning thank you lafay nothing more 
It is well for you. Place those pistols on the side table. They are loaded. You know my mother is afraid of firearms. Here is my lady. Leave us, good Lafoy. Enter Marchioness, dressed in black, slowly through centre door. Exit Lafoy. Emmanuel goes towards her, kneels and takes her hand. Madam, by your leave. Rise, my son. I rejoice to see you once again. Emmanuel conducts her to an armchair. She perceives the pistols and trembles. What has alarmed you, mother? Nothing. Sits down. I received your letter, my son, and congratulate you. You appear born for diplomacy more than for the army, and should have solicited the Baron de Lectour to procure you an embassy instead of a regiment. And he will certainly succeed, madam, for he has great influence, and is, moreover, so deeply in love. In love with a woman he has never seen. Oh, madam, de Lecteur is a man of sense, and all he hears of our family but increases his desire of the alliance. Besides, he is worthy of it. His ancestry is noble, descended from the royal family of Scotland. It is a most suitable match. He has insisted that all the preliminary ceremonies should be gone through in his absence. Has the approaching marriage been publicly proclaimed? Yes, all has been arranged. Then we can sign the contract tomorrow evening, on Lecteur's arrival. And did he not question you respecting Lusignan? Did he not inquire why our family solicited the order for his banishment? No, madam. Such services are so common they are forgotten the next day. Besides, it is generally considered a family secret that none dare question. I alone shall not forget that wretch. And wherefore? Because I yet may be revenged by other means than those. Oh, say not so, my son, if you would have me live. Emmanuel, passing his hand across his brow. You are right, mother. What is done cannot be undone. We must forget the past. Then he knows nothing. Nothing. But shall I explain, madam? Should he know all? Well? I doubt not his resolution would still remain unalterable. Then he is ruined. The case with most of our young noblemen. But his influence is great with the king's brother, in whose household he occupies a post of trust. Tis well. We can retrieve his broken fortunes without impairing our own. This marriage ensures the happiness of at least one of my children. I will not confine you forever to this lone chateau, far from all amusement, near a father deprived of reason, who refuses to behold the children his heart no longer knows. It is for me, worn and wretched as I am, to watch your father in these gloomy walls, while you, my children, young and gay, should seek for pleasure and enjoyment. Emmanuel kissing her hand. Best of parents, it is my sister alone who, by her obstinacy... Your sister will bear in mind that her obedience alone can make me forget her fault, and rest assured, she will obey. Pardon, my mother, my desire to see this match concluded, although my duty soon will call me from you. But you well know how insignificant my life has been till now. My name rendered so famous by my ancestors, so honourable by you, is a reproach to me, who have done nothing to add new luster to its brightness. At my age, my grandfather was a general, my father the king's first equerry. These are names which should not be forgotten, stars in the heavens which must not be extinguished. 
my poor father who for the last twenty years has not appeared at court was completely forgotten by our late king at his death and by our present monarch on his accession to the throne of france new sprigs spring up in the place of aged trunks and when i presented myself at versailles hardly was our name the glorious ancient name of marquis de Arey, known at our young court marchioness vehemently rest assured that name will yet sound loud enough in royal ears but for their majesties may heaven's choicest blessings rest on them and france who could oppose an obstacle to their happiness louis the sixteenth young and good marie antoinette young and beautiful surrounded by a brave nobility adored by a loyal people thank heaven fate has placed them beyond the reach of all misfortunes alas my son who is free from error and human weakness no heart though it be hidden by the purple is passionless the coroneted brow of kings the snow of grief may whiten in a single night nobility say you going to an open window behold those trees spring saw them in the glory of their verdure and scarcely has the breath of winter chilled them see they are barren their leaves fallen they are beloved by a faithful people look at that sea how peaceful how calm to-morrow this night perhaps this very hour may bear to us the blast which tells of the unfortunate victims buried in its depth although not living in the vortex of the world strange reports have sometimes reached my ear has there not arisen a sect of philosophers who count among their number men of high renown do they not speak of an entire world which like a floating island has separated from the mother country rebel children who refuse submission to their parent of a people styling themselves a nation have i not heard descendants of an ancient race of nobles have crossed the sea to offer rebel swords which their ancestors were only wont to draw at the call of their legitimate sovereigns and have i not been told or is it but a dream of my imagination that louis the sixteenth and marie antoinette forgetting that all sovereigns are a family of children have sanctioned those armed crusades and given letters of mark to heaven knows what pirate all this is true madam marchioness solemnly then may heaven watch over france exit slowly without looking back emmanuel alone seeing his mother depart this dreary castle inspires her with all these sad and sinister ideas as if some dreadful crime had been committed which lays a heavy load upon the conscience of its inmates i doubt futurity the moment i enter its walls when shall i quit them enter yasma handing a card to emmanuel for you my lord a card mr paul who is that mr paul enter paul jones i am he sir emmanuel haughtily it appears sir that you are extremely anxious to see me paul bowing i confess count that i set great value on the interview which i hope you will do me the favour to honour me with you have a manner sir of requesting a favour which admits of no chance of refusal pray be seated if this conference is to be of any duration paul sitting down quietly willingly for i have much to say to you 
Speak, sir. Request your servant to leave the room. Emmanuel to Jasmin. Leave us. Exit Jasmin. Now, sir, let me know whom I have the honor of addressing. I am the captain on board whose ship young Lusignan was banished to Cayenne. Emmanuel, fixing his looks on him. Impossible. Paul remains seated, carelessly. Yet I am he. Tis true, the last time but one we met, when in Brest you did me the honor to visit me on board my ship, I wore long black hair, a large straw hat, and a sailor's pea-jacket. All these change the appearance of a man. Above all, if to his costume, he adds the strong country accent of low Britain. Emmanuel, looking at him attentively. Indeed, sir. I believe I recollect, beneath the hat you speak of, I saw a pair of eyes bright as yours. I've not forgotten them. Then that captain called himself by the name under which you call on me, Mr. Paul. Paul bows. But you said it was the last time but one I had the honor of seeing you. Assist my memory, sir, I beg, though I do not recollect the last time. The last time, Count, was in Paris a week ago, at a fencing match at the residence of the naval minister's son. Then I was an American officer by the name of Jones, light hair, blue uniform, navy underdress. I had the honor to fence with you, and to hit you three times, while you, I believe, did not hit me once. Uh, strange. <laughs> yes, this is the look, yet it cannot be the same person. Because heaven willed that a man's eye should be the only feature he could not disguise, he imparted a spark of his heavenly glow to it. Captain Paul is the same as the American Jones. The American Jones is the gentleman now before you. And today, sir, whom are you pleased to represent? Myself, for I have no motive for any disguise. Nevertheless, if you have a preference for any particular nation, I shall be what you desire. Proceed, sir. Be it so, Count. France is the land of my birth, the son of France the first my eyes beheld, and although I have visited countries more fertile, seen suns more brilliant, still for me there ever has existed but one country, but one sun. Emmanuel, ironically. Your enthusiasm, sir, makes you forget the business of procuring me the favor of this visit. It is now two years since, as you were promenading the harbor of Brest, you saw amongst the numerous ships in port a brig, with a slender waist, high-towering masts, and you judge the master of that vessel must have had powerful reasons to trade with a ship carrying so much sail and so little lumber. Thence you imagined I was a pirate, a freebooter, corsair. Was I mistaken? I believe, Count, I have already expressed my admiration of your superior judgment of men and matters at first sight. No compliments, sir. To the point, if you please. In this persuasion, then, you came on board my vessel, and there you met Captain Paul. You were the bearer of an order from the Minister of the Navy ordering any officer bound on foreign service, if required by you, to transport to Cayenne a certain Lusignan, guilty of a crime of state. Tis true. I obeyed, sir, for I was at that time sailing under the French flag, and I knew not— Here Emmanuel rises and comes nearer to Paul. Then that this said Lusignan had committed no other crime than that of having been the favored lover of Margaret Doré, your sister. 
emmanuel touching his shoulder sir paul rising and taking carelessly one of the pistols you have very handsome firearms count and loaded sir is their aim true if you will take a walk with me i should be happy to try them together with you thank you count i know these pistols they are the make of a celebrated german armorer i won their fellows from st george's of course you know him the colonel of the american regiment he laid a wager to cut twelve balls one after the other on the blade of a knife he did not miss a single one and how could you win after this because i cut them more in the centre than he did this sir uh, is foreign to the proposal i had the honour to make to you you are a clever shot that's all paul inattentively why should i not be during our long days of calm when not a breath of wind ruffles that mirror of heaven the sea we sailors isolated and solitary are obliged to accept such recreations as come within our reach thus do we practice our skill on the unwary swallows that seek for shelter on our spars or the wild seagulls whose plaintive cry on their approach announces the returning breeze and become somewhat expert in an exercise apparently so strange in our profession emmanuel after a moment's silence proceed sir he was a good and brave young man that lusignan he told me his history how that ardent profound irresistible love grew in their hearts like paolo and francesca and how your sister repeated to him the words of the young girl of verona thine till death emmanuel biting his lip and too well did she keep her word he told me of their mutual love for a long time chaste as that of angels his projects to create himself a name great as alexander's that he might lay his laurels at the feet of his beloved his long and respectful suit with your mother her haughty refusal and bitter railings which he submitted to as if no human heart was beating in his bosom he told me of his grief his tears his despair when commanded by your sister to quit this neighbourhood he spoke to me of that night of farewell agony and woe out of a disgrace yes you call it disgrace shame when a poor girl alone and friendless yields to her age her passion and her love well they were separated but she had fallen your mother who might perhaps have saved the honour of her child if sacred duties had not severed them for i know the virtues of your mother as well as the misfortunes of your sister a haughty and stern lady who has no other advantage over others than that of having never failed your mother i say one night heard vainly smothered cries she entered the chamber of your sister approached her bed pale and speechless tore in cold blood a new-born infant from her arms while from poor margaret's lips not even a sigh complaint or cry escaped she had fainted on beholding her mother am i right count am i well informed or have i forgotten some minor details in this tragic history none they are transcribed in those letters of your sister which lusignan delivered to my charge when about separating from me to herd with miscreants and criminals that i might restore them to the unfortunate writer give them to me sir and i swear they shall be returned faithfully to her who was imprudent enough to complain to the only being who loved her in this world is it not so imprudent girl from whom a mother tears her darling child 
and who dares to pour her bitter sorrows into the bosom of the father of her babe. Imprudent sister, who finds no friendship in a brother's heart, abandoned by her father, oppressed by a stern mother, might compromise her noble family by signing with her illustrious name letters, which may, how call you that young gentleman? Blast her excursion, is it not? As you are so well aware of the importance of those papers, why not fulfill your mission and deliver them to my sister, to my mother, or to me? He stretches his hand for them. I landed at Brest with that intention. But about a fortnight since, on entering a church, Emmanuel, ironically, A church? Yes, sir. And wherefore, if you please? To pray. Captain Paul then believes in heaven? And if I believe not in a supreme being, whose aid should I invoke when furious tempests rage? Emmanuel, impatiently. Well, and in this church? I heard a priest proclaim the approaching marriage of Baron de Lactour with the noble Lady Margaret Doré. And what does Captain Paul find astonishing in that? Nothing, Count. But a fanciful compassion took possession of my heart. I thought, as every one, even his own mother, had forgotten that deserted orphan, for, I suppose, of her own free will, and not by force, your sister marries Baron de Lactour. I thought that I would cherish the poor boy, whose christening was tears, without a name, without a family. At least he should not starve, whilst his relations enjoyed the blessings of this world. In your position, and with your ambitious projects connected with the alliance of Monsieur de Lactour, those letters are well worth a hundred thousand livres. Are they not, Count? And this sum will only make a trifling breach in the half-million composing your fortune, will it not? But what security have I, sir, for those hundred thousand livres? Right, sir. Nor will I exchange those letters, but for an obligation in due form, in the name of young Hector de Lusignan. As it was only on money matters we had need to treat, you might have spared yourself the trouble of relating that long story, and rather have sent me a confidential agent to settle this affair. The family Doré have always set aside, annually, for charitable purposes, double the sum which you require. He goes near the table and writes, Enter Jasmin. My lord. I am at home to no one. Leave us. Your sister, my lord. Some other time. She desires to speak with you immediately. No ceremony, sir. I can call again. No, Captain Paul, if you please. I would rather set our business at once. I will see my sister. But as it is unnecessary that she should see you, be good enough to retire to that closet. You will there find books to beguile your time. Willingly, sir. Enters closet. Emmanuel to Jasmin. Admit my sister. Exit Jasmin. Enter Margaret. Come, Margaret. Tell me quickly what you want. I am busy. There was a time, Emmanuel, when, after two months' absence, you would have at least embraced your sister. There was. But since that time, so many things have happened. And what could happen between children of the same mother? What could separate blood from blood, the brother from the sister? Margaret, you forget your disgrace. Oh, cruel brother! You know I cannot implore my father. You know the sight of my mother inspires me with awe. I am speechless before her. And now my only earthly hope depends on you. I come to you, Emmanuel, not as a sister to her brother, 
joy in her looks smiles upon her lips no no i come to you with tears and humble suppliant before her judge and with a single word you prostrate me and what do you want of me i wish to know whether the report is true what report that tomorrow evening what next baron de lecture we'll be here tis true oh heaven i was in hopes having taken the precaution as he did to announce his arrival two months ago you had time enough to be prepared despite those threats hope still remained criminals have been pardoned at the foot of the scaffold in a supplicating voice emmanuel well oh dost thou not understand me if heaven had willed that i could spare thee a pang as thou canst save me from misery if thou hadst prayed to me as i now pray to thee and by a single word my voice could save thee from despair how would i pour forth blessings unto heaven in speaking that one word this rests not with me an alliance determined by my mother and necessary to the honour of her family my father too desires it my father desires it would to heaven he could desire something poor old man that i might die for him an alliance determined by my mother oh he who suggested that alliance could easily obtain a renunciation of it necessary for the honour of our family thank heaven that family is powerful enough in name and fortune to gain no lustre from a prince's suit no emmanuel no you have bargained for me is it not so you have sold me for the sake of your ambition speak you have bartered me for a decoration a commission and you believed that as a child i would obey if i resisted my loneliness and misfortunes could give you power to bend me to your will you were mistaken emmanuel in my misfortunes will i find that force to resist even in my loneliness of power to oppose your purpose then you are resolved to disobey your mother that night when for the last time i saw him him whom my eyes may ne'er behold again a priest was waiting to unite us the sigurn was at my feet i refused to follow him for i would not disobey my mother but on that night i made an oath that if i could not be his wife never would i be the wife of another i have repeated it since on the head of my child and now it is not only the vow of a loving woman it is a mother's solemn oath and heaven i trust will give me strength to keep it farewell emmanuel mayst thou be happy exit margaret emmanuel gazes at her as she exits farewell poor reed believest thyself an oak oh when my mother commands how wilt thou bend thy head how wilt thou prostrate thyself at her feet perceiving paul at the door of the closet ah there you are sir prepare your letters and i will sign the obligation you demand goes towards the table it is not necessary count emmanuel quickly how so i will give the hundred thousand livres to your nephew and i will provide a husband for your sister emmanuel violently but who are you then sir who dare thus play the master in my family paul going who am i i will tell you to-morrow for this evening i shall know it emmanuel detaining him and will you give me your word of honour that i shall see you again to-morrow paul releasing himself you have my word exit paul emmanuel alone what i see most clear in all this mystery is 
this man must either blow my brains out or i will his end of act one